The Love Good Podcast is brought to you by our patrons. As they stand on the front lines of discovering the world's best new music, books, and art before anyone else, our patrons raise media to a higher standard and help young people and artists turn that standard into a way of life. Join the movement today that will give you hope for tomorrow. Become a patron now at lovegoodculture.com. Welcome, everybody, to the Love Good Podcast. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell. We've got a really special guest coming on today. His name is Tyson Motzenbacher. He lives on the West Coast. He's definitely what I would call a fellow pilgrim in this great adventure of life. I just could not believe how many cool connections and just similar thought processes we stumbled into over the course of this conversation. He said, just to give you some sound bites, several things like this. He said, everything with true eternal significance comes out of suffering. Um, he said things that, you know, I really never heard before, such as this idea of ownership or providence of place. He said, growing up, uh, his mom just passed that on to him in a very real way and said with that came a real kind of pastoral and magical childhood. And um, yeah, just an amazing, amazing guy who, uh, when his mom passed away a few years ago, ended up hiking 600 miles from San Diego to San Francisco in her honor and uh, really has just put out some incredible albums and EPs, has collaborated with the likes of John Foreman from Switchfoot. I just cannot wait for you guys to hear this conversation. So kick back and enjoy Tyson Matzenbacher. We'll be with him in just a few moments. I can talk all right. You can talk all right. We can talk all night for nothing. If your heart is right, get your head in line. Cause I can't talk all night for nothing. Nothing. I want you to text me some more. Welcome back to the Love Good Podcast, everybody. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell. I have the privilege of sitting down right now with a new friend, Tyson Motzenbacher from all the way out west, San Diego, California. How are you doing today, Tyson? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we're really, really happy to have you. In fact, it's it's been a fun journey, even just over the last few months of learning about you, being exposed to your music, getting connected to your manager here in Nashville, and just realizing, my goodness, there is there's truth and there is beauty to be found everywhere. And uh, you know, San Diego is this place I think most of us kind of exalt, you know, as the the beautiful West Coast, and there's all this you know, glory to be seen in the ocean and in the creative scene over there. But tell us, what's it kind of been like for you growing up on that side of the country? You know, we've got listeners from all over the world, yeah. but many uh, would have never even approached the West Coast, even within, um, you know, kind of our American listenership as well. So what's it like growing up in the Cascades, now living in California? Tell us what it's really like. Because sometimes we think California is its own country, you know, it feels that way. So <laughs> yeah. what's it really like? Give us the real story. 
Well, that's funny because I think in California, everybody kind of thinks that the South is its own country. So <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's mutually the, that feeling. I mean, the, like the, the difference between, you know, a place like Tennessee and a place like California, especially Southern California is like about as vastly different as, as two places could be. Um, I was actually just, I was just laughing when you were, when you were saying that, because like you said, I, I grew up in the, in the Northwest, like in Washington state, um, which is very much like that's about as removed from the rest of the country as you can be. I was booking shows when I was in college. Like I was a promoter up in Washington state and we came down to San Diego for a conference, like for a booking conference. And all the kids from the San Diego colleges had these shirts on that said, <laughs> they said, uh, we live where you vacation. It was like this, like it. It, was, it was like the snobbiest t-shirt I'd ever seen in my life. And <laughs> I, I like hated San Diego because of it for like years and years. I was like, these snobs, they like think they're so cool down there. And, <laughs> and then I, and now I live here and I have to, and I, now I'm that person. Now I'm the worst. So <laughs> yeah. Um, That's pretty good. Yeah. My dad was, uh, he, he actually lives in a town called Leavenworth, Washington, which is up in the Cascade mountains. Um, he lives on a river called the icicle river and it's about exactly like what you would think. (laughs) But he always, he would always talk to me, uh, when we were kids, he loved telling my sister and I about the West coast and like what it meant. And, uh, he's, he's a storyteller as well, different than I am, but he likes to talk about legacy and about like, you know, the family and stuff. And, the thing that he always said was the United States is still such a young country that the roots of everything are still really apparent. And he always used to talk to me about how like the people that came all the way to the coast would just have to be the, like the craziest kind of like stupidest stubbornest people ever, because, you know, it took whatever it took years to get out here. It took like three years to get, you know, from Boston to California and, in that time, you're just traveling over thousands of miles of free land. Like you could have just stopped and just had a farm anywhere along the way. You know, the people that made it all the way out here were just crazy. Like, like there, there's no reason to come all the way to California when you could have just stopped in, you know, in Missouri and had a free farm, like three thousand acre farm. So it's it, that to me still is really, you know, that permeates everything in the Western culture, like from the raw individualism and stubbornness and like the way that people are kind of innovating things out here. It just, it, to me, it kind of goes back to the idea that like the people that came here were crazy. Um, and, (laughs) and still are. (laughs) Yeah, no, it it really makes so much sense. And I, I end up in Europe maybe two or three times a year and you know, you can see the identity and personality wrapped up in a nation. And I think Mm -hmm. that is, even uh, more noticeable within the, the regions of our country. And, yeah. you know, the further you go west, you're right. You, you had to have been somewhere in your DNA a risk taker and right. uh, a bit of a, a rebel to just keep going west. And uh, I, I love that, you know, out of that, you do see a lot of ingenuity, a lot of creativity, a lot of just thinking outside the box. But I have to say, the Pacific Northwest sounds like, you know, mm-hmm. around where you grew up, the Cascades specifically, I, I've gone yeah. cave diving inside glaciers mm-hmm. in the Cascades. And it's like my eyes didn't know things like that existed uh, until I got out there. Just beautiful stuff. What's it like growing up uh, amidst such beauty like that? I think that, um, especially having moved down here now where, you know, where I live is like, 
it's very developed and everything is getting more and more developed all the time. Um, I grew where I was born in a town called Wenatchee, Washington, which is, um, it's this at the time when I lived there, it's this small town that is between, um, a lot of miles of sort of high desert and farmland and then the Columbia river and then the Cascade mountains. And so it, it really did feel like when I was a kid, it was all apple orchards. Like when you hear about Washington apples, they all come from the Wenatchee Valley. And it was, it did feel like, uh, you know, like when you read those old Steinbeck books and it, it's like the way the Monterey Val- Bay and Valley used to feel just like orchards and river and huge mountains and really interesting people like ski bums and, uh, you know, rock climbers. And that's what my, that's what my family was. My, both my parents were kind of like mountaineers and rock climbers and just outdoors, outdoor people. And, um, yeah, it was, it was very pastoral and beautiful. And, um, and yeah, I, I mean, I think when I, you know, growing up there, it, it, it didn't feel, it just felt like I assumed everybody had this magical childhood and then, you know, it's just very clearly is not the case. It's really, really cool. And it's, and it sounds like you started making music, you know, not necessarily out of the womb, but what, about seven, eight years ago. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I uh, my my mom was a bit. I, I guess you could call her a hippie. She was, <laughs> she was just was. She really didn't like, you know, she didn't like TV and she didn't like media in general. She just like kind of wanted us to play outside all the time, and um, so she would come up with ways to sort of keep us entertained. And one of the ways was that she bought me a guitar when I was eight years old, and oh, wow. uh, and I could barely push the strings down, but it was a, uh, yeah, it was something that I really loved. I liked making. I liked, you know, playing the guitar and making music and writing songs. And she was really, really uh, supportive of that. And, um, and yeah, and, and the Northwest is definitely like, you know, it's funny now, like having not lived there for, you know, seven years or whatever, I can hear it on somebody. Like if somebody's from the Northwest, I can, I can hear it on them if they're a musician. Um, mm. It's just, it's, it's like the, I think the geography and the landscape and the the, just sort of the way that people are there and the history, it just, it sounds like Washington to me or like the Northwest. And that's, uh, it's funny actually people here always like make fun of me and say that I'm just, I'm just like a Washington kid living in California and kind of always will be. Cause it's just such a part of who I am being from there. And that's really cool. It's really cool. And it sounds like you've had a lot to really, uh, fuel your creativity, not just in your childhood and, and upbringing, but certainly the last, you know, five to 10 years, some, some really big life changes. I mean, I, I've already really appreciated just the fact that you're compared to Vance Joy and, and James Bay, and you, you've got a style, man, that is really, really cool. And I think, hmm. uh, what, what, what takes it so much further though, is the, the, the depth of thought and hmm. the, the way that your lyricism is, is got layers, you know, that you can pull back. And I know that that only comes when, when you're living life in full color, you know, when you're, mm. when you're living life intentionally. Uh, tell me a little bit about how your circumstances, and especially just, you know, your, your family, uh, close friends mm. along the way who have really shaped who you are as an artist and even without realizing it informed your creative process. Yeah, that's, that's great. I, um, you know, one of the big ones that was for me was that, you know, a few years ago, my mom passed away from cancer and she had been, uh, you know, I'm like, I remember when I was a kid, my mom would pretty regularly, she would say like, you know, hop, hop in the car or whatever, we're going to go on a, just on a drive. And we would, you know, we'd drive out into the country and we'd find some old barn that was falling down and 
we'd go and run around in there. Just my mom and I, we'd like look in there and try to find an old can or something. And then she would look at the can and she would say, you know, this is like, she, she was really smart and had a lot of, she knew a lot of things. And she'd be like, you know, this was like, I remember these cans from being a kid, you know, being like, I remember. And then she would tell me a story about something about the can that we found or whatever. And she was, she had this incredible sense of narrative and of owner, especially she had a, she had a really strong sense of ownership of place, um, like mm. specific locations and, um, and also, like, like I think that what it was to me was when we would go out and find these old, all these old abandoned houses, and she would, she would do things like she would find a house, and she would, like, I remember I was, I was like, I think I was ten years old, and we found this abandoned house, and she, she told me about the potato famine in Ireland, and how we came, about, you know, my my family's Irish or her family's Irish, and how we came over because of a famine, and now if you go over to Ireland, there's all these houses that are abandoned that look just like this. And that any abandoned house has a story behind it and it has a, um, you know, there's a, there's a tragedy there. Like for someone to just leave their home, something had to happen. And that we have all these monuments of past tragedies like all, everywhere that we look. And so when she passed away, that was something that I thought about a lot was uh, what does this mean from a perspective more than just like. Yeah, like what what she was really good at was taking anything that happened and being able to zoom that out to a broader perspective, like to more to a more universal thing. Like, what does this say about the nature of human suffering, of nature, the nature of like, um, you know, human survival or whatever it was with the specific story? And that's what I wanted to do with her is was was say like, okay, for me, what this means is that my mom died and she was my hero, and that makes me feel you know A, B, and C or whatever. And she. Uh, right before she died, she took, she was actually in hospice and she took me and she called me into a room and she said that she wanted me to do something stupid and irresponsible. <laughs> and I said, I was like, mom, that's the, that's the worst motherly advice ever. <laughs> and, <laughs> and she was like, well, when have I ever given you good motherly advice? I was like, I guess that's true. <laughs> um, but she said, uh, she said, you know, like Tyson, you're really bad at feeling sad. Like you're not good at understanding loss like you just sort of push through it and so she told me to do something irresponsible and i told her i was gonna i had just came up with this idea that um a couple of friends of mine had walked the the uh camino de santiago in in spain and uh i knew that in california there was a pilgrims road here as well called the it's called the el camino real it's where like junipero Serra walked and built all the missions uh between tijuana and monterey and uh, I told her that I was going to just do that. I just walked into her room. She was like, you know, she she had just a few days left. And I told her I was going to walk across California, basically, that I was going to walk from San Diego to San Francisco. And she <laughs> she looked up at me and she said, you know, you could go all that way without doing anything at all. <laughs> <laughs> and that was kind of my moment of that was my moment of realizing that, like, that was one of the last things that she said to me. And it was a really cool call to say like, you know, it doesn't really matter like that. The story, the story and the feeling and the meaning, ultimately the meaning of anything, it lies below the surface of the thing, you know? And so for me, she was like, you know, you can walk across California can be the catalyst, but the story is going to be somewhere inside of that thing. And the same thing with the abandoned house or the same thing with, you know, her telling me about her family or my dad talking to me about the way that people came over to the West Coast. It's just that that narrative lies inside of the thing. And yeah, I think that my my upbringing, my parents, my circumstances, losing my mom, it was all all those things kind of pointed to me the idea that like 
um, meaning is something that you have to find. It's something you have to dig up and you have to be able to connect to things that are seemingly disconnected. And that that is, in my experience, like a good chunk of the richness of life comes out of that. Process. And it sounds like that that 600 miles and maybe especially that grieving process is what really gave birth to Rivers and Roads. Is that right? It actually was. It actually was for the next record. Yeah, for Letters to Lost Loves. It was. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, Rivers and Roads had been out for uh, not very long. I actually kind of like I left the touring cycle of that. It was a little EP to go home and be with her. And yeah, I think I just had this realization that like. One thing that happened was that while I was touring so much, when my mom was sick, I, I was in this, uh, I was in denial that she was going to pass away. I thought she was going to get better. And she was telling me like pretty vocally that she wasn't going to get better. I mean, she would call me all the time and say stuff like, you know, like this is not getting better. You know, it's like, I don't know how much time I have, but this is, a, this is something that we are not going to like, life will never be post cancer for me. Like that's something that she told me a couple of times. Um, wow. so yeah, I, I would, I, I kind of, when I decided to walk across California, I had actually like kind of stopped. I had kind of given up on the idea of music, um, not given up on the idea of, of it, but but vocationally, I just realized like I think that one of the things about being in the music business is that you just see uh, like the toll that it takes on people and on people's relationships right. is so apparent, especially if you've done it for any amount of time. Um, you know, like there, like if you're a dentist or whatever, there's never a moment when like your marriage and your dental practice are going to be directly in conflict with one another, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but a lot of creative fields and music particularly because you're traveling so much, it's just like there are so many moments when it's like this thing is like the problem in our relationship, whatever, like relationship with your family, your friends, with your spouse or whatever it is. And and I, uh, I just realized that like there was this kind of overwhelming feeling inside of the music business that like you had to be willing to sacrifice everything for it um, because the chances of making it are so slim. We'll say making it in quotes, <laughs> whatever that means. But like the idea that like, if you, if this is going to be your job, like you have to be willing to sacrifice all else. Like there is no mm. cost too high to, to do this thing. And, and you see that in, you know, musicians, it's part of the like, it's part of like the rock and roll persona is like, I don't care about anything really, except for like this thing. Mm. Um, and when my mom died and I realized like that I had that, like, you know, essentially what I realized is that I would have given it all up. Like I would have given everything away. I would have happily like taken a job as a janitor at a high school or something for the rest of my life to just like, you know, have these, have these important relationships in my life, you know? And, mm. uh, I was like, yeah, it's just not, I just don't think it's worth it. Like I, I was kind of like, this is not worth it. Like if, if all you have in life is these people really and doing this thing of music is like ultimately at their expense, then it's just not worth it. And it was actually, I always joke that, you know, it wasn't until after my mom passed away that like it really felt worth it to me because I, I felt like I had something to say and I had a narrative and I also had a value system that allowed for space in my relationships. So yeah, that was, that was a huge part of that learning process for me as well. It was just like kind of, reevaluating everything a life in music and my place in the world and my relationship with God and everything. It was like that moment for me, like the day that I walked out the front door of my house to start walking North, um, was absolutely like the second part of my life. Like the first part of my life ended and the second part of my life began at that moment. It's amazing. I always love to see 
how as painful as suffering is, um, how truly transformative it can be. You know, the way that it brings things to the surface, the way mm-hmm. that it, you know, maybe a bit like silence, you know, it, it just forces us to reckon with reality mm-hmm. and to see things clearly, even if it's only for a moment. And I, I find it so cool, you know, that you compared this 600-mile trek, you know, across California to the to the Camino of Santiago in Spain. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of friends who have done the Camino. And yeah. actually, just, just a few months ago, I was in Europe for about five weeks. And, you know, within a, maybe a 72-hour stretch, I had gone 150 miles per hour down the Autobahn. I had skied <laughs> the Spanish Pyrenees. And then I yeah. literally went to Santiago. I took a cab uh, maybe 20 miles out. And then I just hiked yeah. my way back in. I did one day of the Camino, bought a sweatshirt just to prove it. No way. And, That's uh, great. I have been talking about it ever since, but I cannot imagine 600 miles. I can't imagine a month or two, even on this side of the country, people going up and down the Appalachian right. Mountains and the, and the trail and just really discovering themselves or maybe more importantly, discovering really what life is about, answering yeah. the, the truly essential questions. Right. And I love that you've not only done that, you're now inviting the world more deeply into that themselves mm-hmm. through your music. Um, so even just as we close out this conversation, I'm just really yeah. curious, you know, between Letters to Lost Loves, the two EPs you re- released in 2017, this mm-hmm. awesome live track that you've just released with John Foreman of Switchfoot, you know, what are the what are the, the songs, maybe even uh, pull out one or two that you've mm-hmm. written that you know would not have been possible, would not have come into existence without that, you know, fidelity to suffering and the mm-hmm. realities of life? Yeah, I mean that was that was a conversation that I had with my mom before she died too. Is exactly what you're saying, which is that she one thing that she taught me in the last few days was this this idea that like suffering is not a bad thing. It's it's I feel like you know it's in our society or, or just general human nature is the idea that like if you're doing okay, you're you're we'll say happy or you're not suffering and you're not doing well, you are suffering. But the idea that like pretty much everything that I know that has true eternal value comes out of suffering. Like, I don't think, I don't know of very many things that don't. And also that the idea that like that suffering is, you know, that joy and suffering are informing one another. Like you can't really know one without the other. And that the, the more suffering that you understand, the more you understand what the opposite of that is, which is joy. But I mean, like on, on the record and stuff, I, I, everything, you know, I think goes back to that walk. I mean, I, I wrote, I wrote a handful of full songs walking down the down the side of the freeway. Like I wrote the song "Honest" walking down the side of the freeway. Of like, what does it mean? Um, and in fact, the funny thing is that I was trying to figure out what it meant, and I was writing that song, and then I didn't write the end until I got to San Francisco. And it's uh, it's the line. It just says that when I, it uh, it says when I finally saw it closing, all those miles above the bay, I found I was only standing closer to the man I tried to lose along the way. Um, wow. Meaning that like you know when you when you get to a place like that. You know, in the in the movies, like you change, like there's a character arc, like you were, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge was super selfish. And then and now he pays off. He pays off the house of, you know, of his worker. And like in real life, I don't think that that's how it works. I don't think that we change. I really don't think that we change like that. I don't think that moments change us. But what we do have, like the change that does occur in moments or in like, you know, significant times is that we understand what needs to change. Like we understand the problem. Like we are, our eyes are open to the way that we are being lousy. And that's what that walk was for me. It was, I got there 
and I realized, first of all, that I was the exact same person. Like nothing had changed. I was the exact same person. I wasn't any wiser necessarily. I wasn't any smarter. Uh, you know, I, I had undertaken this thing that I was proud of. Um, but I did understand all that time alone walking down the highway was me just realizing like, oh, remember when you uh, toured for five years instead of going home to be with your sick mom? That was lame. Like that was a lousy thing that you did. Um, and understanding that my values were crooked or saying like, Hey, remember you, do you ever notice that like when you're at a dinner with a bunch of friends, you completely monopolize the conversation and make it all about you and you don't listen. I was like, Oh yeah. Like Mm -hmm. these are the things that I like when you just spend a month with yourself, you, I think that you don't necessarily change, but you learn how you need to change. And Mm -hmm. that has translated into everything that I've made sense is like my places of weakness and strength or whatever. I don't know. But yeah, that was hugely impactful and important. That's so good. And there's got to be some heroes out there for you in the world of music that have influenced uh, at least a, a bit of that spirit that you're mm-hmm. describing, you know, of, of just vulnerability, mm-hmm. um, but also the, the, the creative side of things too. You know, who who yeah. are your top influences? And maybe even right now, as we close out the conversation, what, what are the, the kind of media recommendations you'd offer to our listeners? It could, you know, certainly be albums you're really yeah. enjoying right now, um, but also books you've read and, and movies mm-hmm. that you've seen that you really feel like have a, a sense of the true, the good, and the beautiful that really help people better enter into the human experience. What, what would be some of your recommendations and influences? That's a great question. I think, um, you know, it's I've, I've been... My friend John from Switchfoot is an is an uh, you know he's an ongoing inspiration and getting to watch him you know negotiate life as a dad and a band member and a husband and has been really inspiring to me. Um, but you know there I mean I like in the Northwest where I grew up there's a lot of people there that I continue to really love. Um, there's a guy named David Bazan there is in a band called Pedro the Lion and I've always really admired his ability to tackle things that are really difficult publicly. Man, I'm trying to think about what else. I, I'm reading a book by a German author named Hermann Hess right now. Um, he's really good. I've always been a big fan of Steinbeck. Yeah, I think I think like I realized recently that I'm not really a fan of things. Like I, I I'm not someone that I'm not really super enthusiastic about very many things. Like I'm so glad for people that are like that. But if I'm going to be a fan of something, I want it to be pointing at something larger than being entertaining. If that makes sense. Like, yeah. I don't mind being entertained. I like being entertained, but if I'm going to make something like inhabit the DNA of my life, I want it to be pointing me and leading me towards something bigger than myself and all my favorite artists and authors and musicians and, you know, podcast hosts, like they are all, they're all doing that. They're pointing at something a lot larger than like, uh, look at me and feel, feel good for the, for a second or whatever you know, whatever it is. So there, and there's a ton of people doing that. Like this is kind of the golden age of media. It's the golden age and the dark age of media all at, all at once. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. That's a great way of putting it. And you're right. Anybody who can see themselves as more of a pass through, right. uh, whether that's their, 
their their spoken word, their artistry, or even just their life, that that it would mm-hmm. actually be a a signpost to something and someone so much bigger than them. Uh, right. You're right. That is not only uh, refreshing; it's it's rare. And when you see yeah. it, you know it, and you want it. Uh, this has been a, a really privileged conversation for me, Tyson. I had no idea what to expect, <laughs> and uh, I'm just so. Uh, edified, you know, by uh, your stories, by just hearing the the heart, you know, behind who you are as an artist, and just a little bit of the the deeper layering behind your songs. Uh, give us just a real quick shout out for uh, social media, so we know how we can be following you, how our listeners can be staying in touch with you uh, long term. Yeah, so on Twitter, it's T Motzenbacher, which I guess will be written down someplace in this podcast. It's hard to spell though, <laughs> and uh, and then on Instagram, it's uh, at Jaffe Ryder, which is J-A-P-H-Y-R-I-D-E-R. And yeah, those are, that's kind of where I live most of the time is those two places. That's great. We'll be sure to include that in the show notes. Tyson, it's been a real, real joy. I look forward to doing this again one day. Such a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for having me on. I tried, I made a moment of it all night. Another hundred miles of daylight. I found that we come back home. What an amazing conversation we've just had with Tyson Motzenbacher. If you're not yet following him on Spotify, social media, go check him out. I think he's got nothing but more incredible, incredible things to come uh, as an artist, as a man. He is just uh, so impressive in his pursuit of the true and the good and the beautiful. And he's someone that I cannot wait to actually spend some time with in person one day. So again, Tyson Motzenbacher. Y'all, as always, thank you for tuning in. We're almost maybe at a halfway point in the summer. We've got another conversation coming up towards the beginning of August. Uh, One of our last of these summer bonus episodes. It'll be with Sandra McCracken. Sandra is somebody that is well-loved and uh, well-known here in the city of Nashville, and uh, she's just really somewhere near uh, the root system of the creative and faith-filled community uh, that is Middle Tennessee. And she's somebody that I don't know all that well yet, and I'm just so eager to sit down with her and just learn more about her music, her heart, and uh, what has really inspired uh, this most recent album, which is very much a singer-songwriter album, whereas so many of her previous uh, albums would have been more in the Christian and gospel genre. This one is total singer-songwriter. Cannot wait to sit down with Sandra, and as always, to be back here with you guys. I just cannot thank you enough for tuning in to the Love Good Podcast. These bonus episodes have been an absolute blast this summer. If you're not yet subscribed to our YouTube channel, following us on social media, we've been pumping out new content on a near daily basis. So many exciting things to be following. Uh, We love you guys, and we'll be back in just a few weeks. Thank you for tuning in to the Love Good Podcast. Tell your friends all about us. Stay in touch on social media. And be sure to stop by iTunes or Stitcher to give us a review. Massive thanks to all of our patrons who make this podcast possible. 
as they stand on the front lines of discovering the world's best new music, books, and art before anyone else, our patrons raise media to a higher standard and help young people and artists turn that standard into a way of life. Join the movement today that will give you hope for tomorrow. Become a patron now at lovegoodculture.com.